Beauty, perfection. Desire, deception. Rebellion, judgment, hope. You're listening to Stories from the Bible. Bible stories told in order, using the words of the Bible, with introductions to give a recap and provide context. At the end of each story, you might want to pause and take a moment to reflect on what you noticed in the story. Things you liked or didn't like. Something the story showed you about God or about people. Don't worry if not everything makes sense. Keep listening to each episode and sit with the journey. I'm stoked to have you on the ride. Hello and welcome to episode 22. Last time in Luke chapter 8, we heard Jesus tell the parable of the sower and teach the importance of carefully listening to what he says. And we saw Jesus helping some desperate people, his disciples terrified in a storm, a man miserably kept captive by a multitude of demons, a religious leader with a dying daughter, and a woman suffering chronic illness. In the parable of the sower, Jesus explained that the word of God is like seed scattered on different kinds of ground. Some people will hear it, but it goes in one ear and out the other, like seed that gets eaten by birds as soon as it lands. Others hear and believe the word, but let go of it as soon as they face a time of testing, like seed that lands in shallow soil that gets burnt up as soon as it gets hot. Still others will hear and believe the word, and it will start to grow in their lives. However, the worries and riches and pleasures of life choke out the growth, and they don't bear fruit. And finally, some people hear the word, believe it, and cling tightly to it, no matter what happens. The word of God bears lots of fruit in their lives. They are like the good soil, where seed lands and then grows and grows. Jesus tells the crowds that if they have ears to hear, they should listen. When he explains the meaning of the parable to his disciples later, he also tells his disciples that the reason he teaches in parables It's so that the meaning behind the story will be concealed or revealed, depending on whether a person is open to hearing what the parable is teaching. Those who have ears to hear will hear. However, Jesus also tells them that, like a lamp that's been lit, any truth will ultimately not be hidden or concealed. And the more his disciples hear and pay attention to what he is teaching them, the more light and insight they will have. Conversely, those who choose to not listen to Jesus will move further into darkness and lose even the little understanding of the truth they think they have. And then, to underscore the importance of paying careful attention to what Jesus says, Luke tells us of an encounter with Jesus' biological family. Jesus' mother and brothers want to get near him, but they can't because of the crowd. So Jesus gets told that they are waiting for him outside. And Jesus makes the really crazy statement that my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is saying that when someone is careful to cling tightly to his words, to hear and obey what he says, it will mean that person enjoys a connection with him closer than that of the closest of human biological relationships. After this, we hear about what happened when Jesus crossed the lake in a boat with his disciples. Jesus falls asleep while they're sailing. 
Then a storm comes down and the boat begins to fill with water and they're all in danger. The disciples wake Jesus in a panic, telling him, Master, Master, we're going to die. Jesus wakes up, rebukes the wind and the raging waves, and everything becomes calm. With a word, Jesus saves them all. And then Jesus asks his disciples, where is your faith? What might seem like a bit of an unfair question is actually reasonable. You see, in his narrative so far, Luke has introduced us to others, not the disciples, who have come to Jesus in faith with their troubles. There were the men who made a hole in the roof to lower their friend, a paralysed man, down so that Jesus could heal him. There was the Roman centurion who believed Jesus had the power and authority to heal his servant remotely, without even needing to be present. And there was the woman of bad reputation who sobbed with gratitude at Jesus' feet because his love and forgiveness had turned her life around. What all these people had in common was a recognition that in Jesus, they had found someone who had both the compassion and power to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. They all came to Jesus with their problems, trusting that Jesus was able and willing to help. Their trust their hope, their faith, was in who they knew Jesus to be. So when the disciples wake Jesus up with the words, Master, we're going to die, it reveals what's in their hearts. It shows that their faith or trust has not been in Jesus, but in themselves. They have been looking to themselves for the solution to the danger they are in, and they are in panic. When they wake Jesus, it's not with hopeful dependency and expectation, but with fear and accusation, with the assumption that Jesus does not know or care about their trouble. They are saying to him, in effect, Master, don't you care about this storm we're in? Don't you realise we are about to die? The disciples have forgotten who is in the boat with them. Jesus is not just an ordinary man. They have even witnessed his power to raise the dead when he brought the widow's son back to life. During the storm, the disciples are absolutely terrified of death. Yet they are with one who has power over death. So when Jesus says to his disciples, Where is your faith? He's asking a reasonable question. He's saying, Have you not yet realised I am one you can depend on, one who has both the compassion and power to deal with anything that troubles you or threatens your life? And then, after witnessing Jesus' power to calm the storm, the disciples' fear of death turns into awe and fear of Jesus as they ask one another the question, Who is this man that can even command the wind and waves to obey? So the boat safely lands on the other side, and Jesus is greeted, not by children with flowers, but by the local, out-of-control, demon-possessed wild man. This poor guy is a visible depiction of captivity to evil. Jesus has stepped onto the shore, opposite Galilee, where he came from, right into enemy territory, where powerful demons hold sway. This is a place where darkness and evil reign supreme. And Jesus arrives, 
bringing with him light and life and the good news of the kingdom of God. Will there be a battle between the demons and Jesus to see whose kingdom is the strongest? (laughs) Hardly. The moment the demons see Jesus, they know immediately there is no fight to be had. The best they can do is plead with him for mercy to not be sent into the place of eternal punishment. They know the abyss of torment is where they are ultimately heading. And when Jesus starts commanding the demons to come out of the man, they beg, falling down at Jesus' feet for him to not send them to that horrible place just yet. Once cast out of the man, the demons desperately beg permission from Jesus to be allowed to go anywhere but there. They notice the herd of pigs and say, hey, what about those pigs over there? Then Jesus lets them go into the pigs. And so, for the time being, they escape the place of torment they so dread. And what of the man Jesus has just set free from captivity? He is now clothed and in his right mind no longer in misery, no longer abandoned, no longer needing chains to restrain his violence. He is at peace because Jesus, the one man who is stronger than all evil, has delivered him from the powers of darkness. He begs to follow Jesus back across the lake, but Jesus gives him a mission to remain in the region where he is and proclaim to his people what God has done for him. So, While the townspeople find Jesus and his power way too confronting and beg Jesus to go away, they are not left in total darkness when Jesus goes back across the lake. Jesus leaves behind the man he has rescued from captivity. The one who was once a prisoner of evil is now a witness to the power and goodness of Jesus. Back on the other side of the lake, waiting crowds meet him. And from amidst the crowd, Another man comes and falls at Jesus' feet. Jairus, the religious leader, implores Jesus to come to his home and help his dying daughter. He knows his precious child is far beyond merely human aid. Jesus, the good and powerful one, is his last desperate hope. And Jesus goes with him to meet the dying girl, and as he's going, A woman also comes to him for help. She too is desperate and beyond human aid, having bled for 12 years and spent all she had on doctors. But she is embarrassed and ashamed of her condition. She can't bring herself to publicly fall on her feet before Jesus. So she comes up behind him, hoping and praying in her heart that even a touch of the fringe of his garment will be enough to help her. And the moment she touches Jesus' clothes, she is healed. Jesus knows his power has done something, and so he asks who it was who touched him. Trembling, the woman falls down before Jesus and explains, in front of everyone, why she touched him and how she was immediately healed. Jesus then publicly affirms her and her faith and lets her go in peace. Unlike the disciples in the storm, the bleeding woman touches Jesus, not with fear and accusation in her heart, but with humble dependency and expectation. Where was her faith? Her faith was in Jesus, the good and powerful one. 
But as Jesus is still addressing the woman, a messenger from Jairus' house comes to tell the religious leader, I'm so sorry. It's too late. Your daughter is gone. Don't bother the teacher anymore. All hope for her recovery is lost. But then Jesus says the last thing that any normal, kind and caring person would ever say to a parent who has just received the news of the death of their child. He says, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. What would be cruel and insensitive coming from the lips of anyone else are words of comfort and hope and invitation to trust someone who is more powerful than even death itself. Jesus reaches Jairus' home, takes the child by the hand and restores her back to life with the simple words, child, get up. Who is this man whose words are so powerful they can calm a raging storm or bring back a child from the dead? Listen now to the stories from Luke chapter 9 and hear how people in this chapter are grappling with that very question. Who is this man? The story starts here. After Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not take an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave the area. Wherever they do not receive you, as you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Then they departed and went throughout the villages, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about everything that was happening, and he was thoroughly perplexed, because some people were saying that John had been raised from the dead, while others were saying that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had risen. Herod said, I had John beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? So Herod wanted to learn about Jesus. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. But when the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. Now the day began to draw to a close, so the twelve came and said to Jesus, Send the crowd away so they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and food because we're in an isolated place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They replied, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. Now about 5,000 men were there. Then he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So they did as Jesus directed, and the people all sat down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. 
He gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Once when Jesus was praying by himself and his disciples were nearby, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. But he forcefully commanded them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit a person if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you most certainly, There are some standing here who will not experience death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John and James and went up the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became very bright, a brilliant white. Then two men, Moses, And Elijah began talking with him. They appeared in glorious splendour and spoke about his departure that he was about to carry out at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those with him were quite sleepy. But as they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Then as the men were starting to leave, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. As he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So they kept silent and told no one at that time anything of what they had seen. Now on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Then a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions and causes him to foam at the mouth. It hardly ever leaves him alone, torturing him severely. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. Jesus answered, You unbelieving and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and enjoy you? Bring your son here. As the boy was approaching, the demon threw him to the ground and shook him with convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, 
and gave him back to his father. Then they were all astonished at the mighty power of God. But while the entire crowd was amazed at everything Jesus was doing, he said to his disciples, Take these words to heart, for the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. Its meaning had been concealed from them, so that they could not grasp it. Yet they were afraid to ask him about this statement. Now an argument started among the disciples as to which of them might be the greatest. But when Jesus discerned their innermost thoughts, he took a child, had him stand by his side and said to them, Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for the one who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not a disciple along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. Now when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead of him. As they went along, they entered a Samaritan village to make things ready in advance for him. But the villagers refused to welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were walking along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have dens, and the birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said to another, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The story ends here. Thanks for joining us for today's story. You might like to take a moment to pause and think about what you noticed, things you liked, things you didn't like, something the story showed you about Jesus. To read it for yourself, it's in the book of Luke, chapter 9. If you can find someone willing to read it and talk about it with you, even better. You've been listening to Stories from the Bible. I'm Jen, and I look forward to sharing more stories with you.